It's the third Thursday of the month, and we're off the bricks and on the air. You're listening to a poetry podcast from Brick Street Poetry. Welcome to Off the Bricks, Poets and Poetry Lovers. This is Joyce Brinkman, and today we're talking with poet Marianne Baruch about her book, Best in Very Dark, published by Copper Canyon Press. The book sprang from her time in Australia while she was there on a 2019 Fulbright scholarship. Marianne graduated from the University of Illinois, then earned her MFA from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She has taught at Tunghai University in Taiwan and at the University of Maine at Farmington. In 1987, she developed and began directing the MFA program in creative writing at Purdue University, where she is now a professor emeritus. Over the years, she has been a sought-after workshop leader and speaker at important conferences such as Breadloaf, Bear River, and Rope Walk. Her poems and essays have been published in the best of journals and reviews. Marianne, thank you for joining us today. Oh, hi, Joyce. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Well, Marianne, this new book is kind of divided into books, and I would like you to begin reading from book one, page eight. Okay, I should say that these pieces in each book, and uh, there's five of them, um, you know, are not titled, so. Right, yes. I'll I'll just straight away begin. Of course, Pliny got here first with this bestuary thing. World turned CE, two years pre-Pompeii, his collecting, recollecting every blur and fine point. It's how you watch birds from a blind. You see and they don't. The pond shrunk by drought. Is the poem a telescope or a microscope? Is it big to make small or small to make big? How much water in a poem divided by how much thirst, how much fire and ash? A time machine can cherish or destroy and that rib toward a future. Was it a fuse? Orphaned wallaroo in my arms, a kind of baby kangaroo, not really. One species here, one species there, but they resemble. Add it, add it in that slew of despond called room, called rescue center. The little wallaroo I bottle fed, filling the word pensive as stare, as stop eating a moment. I see it, saw it, I did, I do. Surely his, where is she? Her headlight blinded at dusk, fooled by glare, crossing for grass and a small welling up, what once was a pond, the driver, Jesus, where the hell bent for a shiny can rolling near the brake? Bottle half the length of my hand in my hand, his paws and giant legs all akimbo in the flannel pouch, his human eyes not quite fear but warm at that speed, met milk mixed from a tin, the bottle with its long tawny rip nipple, his mouth frantic, as any infants for it. Thank you, Marianne. Yeah, there is just, this is a, I I thought a, a good representative of the book from the standpoint of the fact that you have so much in here 
um, you can, you know, see um, the past uh, with plenty, and you are seeing the present with you and the orphaned Wallaroo. And to a certain extent, I think maybe it also has a bit of the future in it from the standpoint of, I know you were, you were in Australia before the wildfires, but the concern that you have for the animals that comes through in this poem. Tell us a little bit about how you came to connect um, the past with, with this experience in Australia. Well, Australia, you know, in spite of you go there and, you know, in their shopping malls, they have, they actually have Target, they have Aldi, they have all these recognizable stores. And of course, it's people look like Americans, really. But it's a very strange country, though. It's so you're really, I was really starting from zero so much of the time. And I, my husband and I were constantly amazed at virtually everything. I went there, the, the Fulbright. My, my aim, my purpose, and what they actually aided and embedded me to do, which seems miraculous even now to me, is to observe the wildlife and write poems about it. And so, you know, I always loved the platypus the most of any animal. So hmm. such a curious, you know, yes. hybrid, hybrid times three um, creature. And so as part of that, we volunteered to be in this rescue center, which so many of these animals run out in the road and get get hit. And there's a lot of little joys, little, you know, baby kangaroos and wallabies and wallaroos because the mother is hit and the, the joey is in the pouch and, the, and usually survives. So mm -hmm. they're kind of saved by these places. And, and so they always need bottle feeders. So that's the reference there. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I came to write this, of course, this is the first section I'm introducing Pliny, and he's referred to earlier and later in this section to sort of flesh him out a bit. And of course, he was the first natural historian. You know, his uh, natural history published uh, like two years before Pompeii. He died at Pompeii, actually. Mm -hmm. um, Which is interesting to me that you bring him in there and, and with that image of the fire. Now, obviously, uh, I'm thinking about the, you know, the fires in Australia uh, after you were gone, but, but because he died in Pompeii and the volcanic activity and, and the ash and so forth, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it seems a connection to me with. with well, I, I'm so, I'm, I'm really glad you said that because frankly, I never really made that connection. Okay. <laughs> think, so that's a happy coincidence. I mean, yeah. Um, what made the connection for me is I, it got out, you know, Purdue and its library had a, a, a dual language edition of his 37 books. And that's where I got the idea of the book. Okay. Okay. Book. And I, m my crazy table of contents is, is a reflection of that because his whole first book is just describing all the other books. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Sort of like those Victorian novels, you know, where they say, uh, or, you know, Chapter seven, in which Miss Priscilla finds out not all men are alike, you know. Yes. <laughs> so I've always loved that. And so that's the way my table of contents works, too, except that I'm finding now that it's a totally worthless table of contents because <laughs> I can't, I can never find the poems, you know, like. Uh -huh. But anyway, um, I mean, plenty, the, the first, when he gets down to the real contents of his natural history, the first line, which totally shocked me, was, the world, is it finite? It was a question. Mm -hmm. It was like, 
Mm-hmm. And I thought that's the question we're all asking now. Are you know, are we doomed? <laughs> he meant it, I think, in a different way, but it doesn't matter because that line just like crosses the centuries and kind of echoes like that. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad. I wanted to know how he got in here. I mean, you know, I wanted to know the connection between he and the poet the, and, and this poem that you were writing and the animals. Now, again, the, the connection that I'm seeing is one that I'm only seeing because of what happened afterwards. But but to me, it's turned out to be a very interesting, at least for me in this poem, it turns out to be a very interesting connection, a, a powerful thing in this poem. So I think it was your good luck here, Marianne, as far as I'm concerned, that that uh, the that you put him in there and and that he does kind of help us question. And then the other thing in here that you put in here, because you always pack so much in your poems, is where you say, is the poem a telescope or a microscope? Is it big to make things small or small to make things big? That is kind of interesting that you're kind of asking yourself questions as a poet as you are writing poetry. Uh, I thought that was an interesting piece in this particular poem. Okay, how about reading um, a number uh, the poem on page 10 for us? What is a moment if not this? I am feeding a Joey stop in the Bush capital stop 9,647 miles from home. But a wallaroo in it, low table, a couch, overstuffed chair, the chair high above the city, one window, a door, four walls. I repeat, a wallaroo in it. People said lovely so often it was lovely and brilliant half the time to advance the cause of yes and okay, subspecies of pleasant. Or was it phylum of goodwill, order of forgive and give way, genus of kindness, of grace, a smokescreen? No worries, no worries, we'll get it sorted. Stories got told. I took one to work, tucked in this, this shirt. The big meeting went on, that dodgy invoice they talked into the ground, but I could feel him right there. Vague rumor of blue, a prophet who walks into desolate, into a dot. A paw to his face like a cat, tidying up, then curled as a leaf, a wallaroo in my arms, sated as far back as milk is, as sleep is, Historia Naturalis, according to Pliny. Well, Pliny is with us again, and um, <laughs> there's a wonderful story about you taking this little baby to, to work with you. And I was particularly interested in the fact. Well, not me. This is a story that I heard. Oh, this is a story you heard. You didn't do it. Okay. I okay. Now say I didn't get that. Thank you. Okay. No, I, I would have loved to, but I wasn't going <laughs> to meetings anyway. But really. you weren't. You weren't going to work per se. Okay. Well, that's a yeah. It's a I. I it, it, it's a nice image for me anyway, and and a nice thought that that uh, someone would do that, and that the the person that you're talking about in this in this uh, poem would do that and i particularly like the uh, about uh, a paw to his face like a cat tidying up um i had an experience with a, a little mouse once uh who i was able to observe because he was uh kind of 
on a on a tree branch right by a window and and he was like you know right up against my window and i guess because the lights were on he couldn't see me and i could see him and and he was there and and taking his little nap but then he woke up and and then he began to clean himself and i mean just like you're saying in this poem like a cat you know he's just making himself so well, clean. that's great what well, a great thing to see and, and yeah because you know what when you usually think about a mouse you don't think about a mouse being clean do you and i mean i think this is something about the fact yeah, that, sure. that we yeah. don't really perceive what the lives of animals are really like you know and and for me this observation about this little creature is a uh, is a great thing it, it, to give attention to to give attention to their lives so I, I was particularly interested in that poem for that reason. I, and 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 basically for what you were doing, you know, you went to Australia to pay attention to these creatures. I mean, let's say birds, which of course we have birds here. It's not an unusual sort of conception, the bird, but I mean, the birds there are just insanely different. I mean, they're so colorful and strange and vocal, and you know, mm -hmm. it's wild. Well, I, I I believe Australia. First of all, there are some there's some areas of Australia, the continent itself, that that are some of the oldest right. parts of Earth that we have exposed to us, or that we're really able. Well, I think they, it is the oldest part of the Earth. Yeah, yeah, and um, and of course the animals having been isolated as yeah. they were you know are, are so are so different uh so it's just it's so immensely interesting now I know, it really was like the old drinking from a fire hose <laughs> I, I wrote a few of these very beginning poems there but mostly i wrote this at, when i got back after you fact, got back yes I was, I was just walking around like a sponge you know like trying to think of all kinds of ways i could get at this subject including uh, going to the mint since we were in the capital city we went to the mint because most of the most of the money have have animals on them not people except mm, for mm -hmm. the headed queen right her head on the yeah. side of everything of course well, yeah. but it's but, kind of it's kind of like you said australians look like us right um and maybe they're tired of looking at coins with people on them and they have such different animals so so they're giving us a, with their money they're giving us a look at something that's unique to their country well i'll tell you when we went well, this is a funny story when we went to the to the mint we went to the, we got the the tour you know and this young woman was taking us around and so i asked that i said why why is why did you guys you know put animals on all the mm -hmm. all your your currency and stuff and they said and she said well you know they were sitting around thinking who should we put on the coins and on the bills and and we kept thinking of different people and we thought yeah but they're all wankers <laughs> <laughs> and so and so what's what's interesting about our country what's cool about our country the animals animals and so, mm -hmm. and so, yeah well you know the emu and the uh, kangaroo are on the national seal as well and the flag and everything else i mean it's like and, you know, in the emu and the poem talks about that, you know, being on the money and stuff like that. So it's pretty neat. I'm not sure. I'm not sure our coins are there, but we may be all stuck with bitcoins pretty soon anyway. <laughs> we won't even get to see anything. I don't know. Well, Marianne, I would like you to read 
out of book four, but I, I, I just, this is just a touching little poem to me and I'd like you to read uh, the poem on uh, page 66. So it is I lie sideways into sleep. So it is I lower into stillness. Music? Let's walk, I told my husband, in that tiny house near dawn in the gum grove and get our kangaroo fix against whatever day's calamity to come. Morning after morning, repeat until step and every step is to see them again, see them, to see them. A hope, wasn't it? Calling down such luck. Yeah, I, again, it's to me, again, such a sweet thing from the standpoint of the fact that you also talk about getting your fix of seeing the kangaroo again, because I think the observation of nature really uh, can be a fix for us. I mean, and I particularly like that you brought your husband into this, wanting him to go for a walk with you and do this. And I, and, and to me, that was a, a very touching kind of thing too. Now, I was also interested, obviously I sleep sideways into sleep just means that you're lying, could be just mean you were lying on your side, but it could also have something to do with your thought process and going into sleep because you follow up with Lord into stillness. So the beginning of this poem was also of interest to me. But, you know, I, I, it's also literal, too, because because that was a really marvelous thing about our time there is that just how casually these creatures were everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. that was a wonderful place, you know, where we lived. I mean, that was just dumb luck, too. Yeah, I mean, it would be a neat thing to see so many of them, for sure. I know for me, my animals around here, I'm very close to uh, Eagle Creek Park. So I've oh, gotten yeah. a lot of animals in my time living here. And But the, like, for instance, the most deer I've ever seen at one time have been 20, I'd say. Um, and maybe 15 raccoons. And I mean, nothing like a you know, nothing like you were able to see in numbers Australia. Yeah. And even with the drought, although when we, we took the last month we were there, we circled the outback and uh, which was, everyone told us was totally insane to do, which it was, but anyway, it was great. And, but we saw more animals actually in the East, <laughs> in Canberra. Than in the back, in the outback. Yeah, be, yeah. Yeah. Because the drought was so intense that, you know, mm -hmm the animals were just really scarce mm, yeah well how about reading uh, 79 for us in book five speaking of the outback at pool's edge the skinniest man alive probably the oldest i'll ever see he takes a step to the young therapist chair let's boogie i expect her to say pops as in a movie from the 50s i expect a lot of things that never happen like a fall, a crash to the floor if you have legs like that, two sticks, a kid's drawing of legs, nothing I suspect he'd ever predict for himself in the days of muscle and bravado. I can tell you feral goats get thin as that in the outback, or the sheep ghost crowding the one sealed road that circles half a continent and threads down past Uluru. We'd come upon them stopped, to stop us. So of course we figured, they figured, we had nothing to do with their craving plain water, pure and not so simple to find in drought. They stared straight into us, into our impatience. 
are old in patience. What about that? So what about that? Now your ending in this one gets back to negative capability. I mean, you're you're really ending with so what about that? That to me I thought was was pretty powerful in this this particular poem. And then we didn't, you know, you've got so much in this book, we obviously can't discuss discuss everything, but it was kind of interesting, your uh, comparison of the older man and his condition and and also the the feral goats. Uh, again, the, the the connection between the people and and uh, and a comparison between people and the and the animals. Yeah, and it struck me when I was writing this, I was thinking about too the, just you know, of course we were impatient to get on with it, and these, <laughs> these the road is just crowded with all these feral animals, right? Mm. Didn't look like they were going to be moving anyway soon, and uh, <laughs> it's not like you drive around them, you know. So yeah, but. It made me think about patience and impatience and sense of time for the human sense of time and the animal sense of time. And, you know, and our, our kind of rage at our impatience that comes up in such situations and how pointless it is, really, and how stupid. Yeah. So what about, so what? You know, like, so what? We were impatient, big deal. So that, that whole thing, this poem really surprised me and how that ended. And, and um, of course, that's what we want, right? We yeah, yeah. I, it is a surprise, and and I think I, I think that's good. It, you know, to, but because it, it does make you think. So what about that? You know? Yeah. What does that matter? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it, and that's it. Is kind of interesting when a poem surprises you. I mean, really surprises you. You don't. I mean, at least a lot of times, I don't. I have no idea where it's gonna where a poem's going to go but when I start but you know you sort of maybe begin to get a feel where it's going to go and then all of a sudden it might go another way uh, which I know, can... that, that, that's why I mean that intention is is I don't give a damn about attention yeah it, it actually blocks you you know yeah yeah you back you don't really kind of go with the poem and see what it wants to do yes and I will mention that you you do have besides the animals you do have a, a lot in here about what you call the elders the elders speak and so you you certainly uh, kind of bring in some idea of uh, the indigenous people. the indigenous people uh, in there yeah which is is some great stuff also well to close. Uh, one more here that I would like to to do uh, before we close is on uh, 84, page 84, if you would read that, please. Emu, is it true? An egg of yours morphed into the sun is the sun. Emu, that's crazy. Emu, who could even throw that far? Emu, you listening? Heard you, heard you, heard you, heard you. The quiet came back. A truck wheezed and roared. The dream time storied me. If I lost a chick, I'd count and recount each back to the world's very start. But that one, my little delinquent, even as an egg. Now that egg, that sun blinds you, Emu, dries out your blood in that ditch you were dragged. Yes, where once all was water, where I knelt 10 minutes a day to drink with the others. I love that, like the animal in you might love well i 
I, I like this poem. Uh, I like this poem, Marianne, but uh, also the main reason I wanted to discuss it with you is that uh, I'm kind of interested in how we end our books. So I know you have an afterword, right? After this, afterward, after this. <laughs> um, and but I, I just wondered why this why this was the last uh, in in the book series. Why was this the last poem? Do you have? Uh, well, um, there are there's a sequence with the emu throughout the book. The first poem we saw an emu run over by a you know totally you know kind of terrible driver like like racing in the outback where you know people really drive fast because there's no there's, there's not much traffic let's face it but um and we saw this emu killed and you know we were involved in kind of trying to you know do something about that later like uh and there's a very straightforward poem about that um uh and but that emu began to haunt me as i wrote these poems and the emu suddenly came back to speak from the dead and and that emu so that emu uh comes back three times this is the last time and it's the last poem in the book and in some ways um and this of course refers to you talk about the indigenous presence in the book the dream time of course is the is is stories of origin uh, of the original aboriginal people the indigenous people and there are like hundreds of thousands of these dream time stories. And dream time is kind of an eternal time. It could be even the present, but mostly it's referred to, I think, in the ancient past. And you talked about this being the oldest landmass in, in the world, um, mm -hmm. in the, on the planet. And so, um, you know, so um, this is one of the myths that this is one of the origin stories, you know, that. Uh, the emu egg is thrown up into the sky becomes mm -hmm, the sun. Mm -hmm. so, so that's my reference but so that got in there um and i guess i guess i wanted to end with that kind of nod to and respect for uh indigenous thinking and um in the natural world and this emu actually became for me kind of the heart of the book in a way because we watched it be killed and then it keeps coming back to haunt mm -hmm. and the way we should be haunted by all the terrible things we've done to the planet. And, um, and my emo is pretty smart ass really. Um, it takes no prisoners in other poems. Um, I did read about how they drink for 10 minutes a day. They drink with other emus from, so, so this stuff is researched in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, um, but I, I thought that that loss, you know, in the emu, that just above just common daily activity, you know, was very moving to me. And uh, and finally, the emu gives some advice to the this kind of call and response thing. This, you know, uh, these 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 three emu poems where the emu comes back are set up like this in this conversational way. So mm -hmm. um, that this finally there's some advice given <laughs> from, from the emu from so, the emu yes I, I, guess, I guess why that's i did fear you know when i was putting this together i wanted this to be the last poem um i worried about the ending being a little too sentimental or something but then i thought oh hell with it <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, and I, you know, uh, given the character of the emu and the other pieces, I felt like I could, I, I made, made uh, that creature kind of strange enough and sort of edgy enough that, that I could pull this off. Mm -hmm. that kind of, yeah. I think that's a good idea. And also, I think the fact that it is um, an original story from there, too, uh, helps you pull it off it's not the whole sun thing is, is not something that that you made up and it's certainly something to to ponder uh, and again it goes back to particularly like like now that egg that sun blinds you uh because it, you know it's hot and dry and and um, to me that's kind of an interesting line too so yeah uh i i I I think I think your emu uh, won the right for the, to 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 be this way. I do. I, I definitely do. Okay, Marianne. Now listen. Uh, th this is a book that everybody's going to want to read, but they're, I'm sure they're going to have to read it several times too, because again, you pack so much into your poems. But I would like you to tell me where they can, where people might, uh, our listeners might purchase uh a copy of this book or any of your other books books that you would like to mention uh just tell us where where's the best place for people to find your your poetry well i mean copper canyon press has been my press for the last i don't know uh four or five books of poems and mm -hmm. so okay good they're readily, they're readily available directly from them or on amazon and sometimes they're in bookstores um the book before this is uh, called The Anti-Grief, and that was two years ago. Um, and, and then I wrote a book, a couple of books before that, um, Cadaver Speak, where I had was in the Purdue Cadaver Lab, which is the IU Medical School here at Purdue. You know, they have different, um, different spots all over the state mm -hmm. uh, for the, the med school. And so, um, I got a, a grant from Purdue, a faculty grant to, um, to do that, to be for a semester in the cadaver lab and also take life drawing. And um, I wrote a, a book of using that kind of imagery. Um, so that's available too, and Copper Canyon did that. Well, Marianne, thank you so much. It's just really been a treat to have you here today. Well, I really appreciate you having me. This has been a real pleasure to talk to you, really. Anyway, I, I really, I've learned a lot about my own poems. <laughs> <laughs> Time to pause for a natural moment with a bit of poetry focusing on our non-human world. Today's natural moment poem is called Naming the Beasts and can be found in Joseph Heithouse's book of poetry entitled Library of My Hands. So many name themselves, bird especially. It's what you hear, then you say to yourself, cuckoo, chickadee, wren. But since you can't fly, you only mimic half rhyme. The songs you wake to, you try to put what's in your ear inside your mouth. This program would not have been possible without the help of our creators and creatives. Our signature music is composed and performed by Iona Wagner. 
Generous supporters of Off the Bricks include Indiana Humanities, the Arts Council of Indianapolis, and the City of Indianapolis. We release new episodes of Off the Bricks on the third Thursday of each month, so keep an ear out for us. Thank you for joining us, poets and poetry lovers. Good poetry enriches our day and enlightens us about ourselves and the world. Join us again the third Thursday of the month as we bring you poetry off the bricks.